Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is what I learned from working at six fulfillment companies in three months with my friend, Chana Ranatuga. Ranatuga, please pronounce your last name, Chana. <laughs> hey, Joe. My name is Chana Ranatunga. I was close. I was close. <laughs> close. <laughs> so, Chana, I'm really looking forward to this topic. I have referenced this topic many times since we prep for this a few months ago, and then we never got around to actually doing the podcast. So I'm really happy we're finally doing that. But please introduce yourself and your company before we get started. Awesome. So good morning, Joe. Thanks for having me. I'm Chana, the CEO and co-founder of Rabot. I live in Grand Prairie in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Nice. Nice. So what does your company do? What does Rabot do? We build smart tools for warehouses, specifically in a packout process. What is a packout? It's a packing station, essentially. It's a final step before you receive this package. You order something from Amazon, you know, the final step before it comes to your house, that's the packout. So we all know, if, if you're in the fulfillment business, you definitely know what that is. But for the rest of us who just receive stuff, we don't know. We know it was packed somewhere. We know it was picked somewhere, but we're not sure of how that works. Chad, I think you have a, a really interesting background. I've been fascinated with it. So please tell me about where you grew up, where you went to school, and a little about your early life. Oh, yeah, great question. Now, there's a bit of a story. So I was born on a small island in Sri Lanka. And after that, we moved to the Middle East. Again, another small country you may have heard of. It's called Kuwait. Nice, um, nice choice. <laughs> Why did you guys move to Kuwait? My dad worked for the State Department, U.S. State Department. So we lived there most of our life. And with that, we were fortunate enough to actually migrate to the U.S. So if you're born in Sri Lanka, how do you end up working at the State Department? Your dad? Yeah, so dad moved to the Middle East during the Iraqi invasion. So during that time... Like they were very hard to find proper electrical engineers for a lot of the tasks that the U.S. military was doing. I just imagine that discussion. Your dad comes home, says to your mother, hey, we're going to move to Kuwait. What are you, crazy? <laughs> it's, it's not just that. Like they would even ask him if he wanted to fly to Iraq on a helicopter for deployments. And it was crazy. We were like, hey, there's a war going on. What are you trying to do? So how long did you live in Sri Lanka and then how long did you live in Kuwait? A very short time. I was there maybe for two years in Sri Lanka. Most of my life I spent in Kuwait. So your family moved from Kuwait to the U.S.? Yes, from Kuwait to the U.S. How old were you when you moved here? I was 17, 18, 17, 18. So you went through school in Kuwait? Yes. Funny story. I went to high school in a convent school. Like a Catholic convent school? Yes, Catholic convent school. My principal and professors were all nuns. So, you know, it was interesting because we were in a country that was predominantly Muslim, right? So it was a very interesting experience. And you weren't Muslim and you weren't Catholic. <laughs> I was neither. Yeah, it was. I learned a lot, though. It's all the same teachings in the end. Well, yeah, exactly. I think that's how most people feel. So you moved here as a, basically, did you graduate from high school over there? Yeah, yeah. I went to high school in Kuwait. I came here for my undergrad. Started. So, yeah. I know your brother, Sura. Yeah, Isura. 
Isra. Um, I knew I was going to mispronounce that. Isra. Now, do you have other siblings? No, it's just my brother and I. So is he older or younger than you? He's older than me. So you guys, so he was already graduated from high school. You were graduated from high school and then moved over. Yeah. So actually, bro came much earlier than I did, like a year earlier. And he came by himself. And then after that, dad, the whole family and I moved for my schooling in Texas. That must have been crazy. I know you, you're very close with your brother. I think uh, you guys, every time I've talked to either one of you, it's always my brother, my bro, my bro, my bro. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's something that we're trying to um, get over. But we have never <laughs> called each other by our names. It's either little bro or big bro. <laughs> so even, even on like customer calls, they're like, bro is on the call. And they're like, who's bro? <laughs> <laughs> so um, what language did you learn in Kuwait? What language were you going to school with? So, you know, I born in Sri Lanka. My parents taught me Sinhalese. That's number one. Then I came to the... Say, uh, say that again. In Sinhalese, it's the language of Sri Lanka. Okay. And soon after that, it, I went into Kuwait. We learned English because it was English medium. Right. We had to learn Hindi. That was just mandatory by our school. Then we had to learn French and Arabic. So we had to learn like five languages before we turned 16. Jeez, oh, Pete. And so then you, you came to America how many years ago? 2007, I moved to Arlington, nice. Jeez, OP. Well, you're kind of the perfect American. You got that story. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. The culture clash was even more when we came to the university because they're all over the place. People from all over the place. Where'd you go to college? UTA, University of Texas at Arlington. Oh, so um, you said you really smacked into a, the melting pot, I guess. Yeah. Salad. Yep. <laughs> it was amazing. So good experience at UTA? Yeah, I loved it. It was a small university. When we first started, right, like 13 years ago now, I guess, 14 years ago. Now it's much larger, but it was very good to start off with. I did go to Southern Methodist University after UTA. Nice. Those were great schools. So what did you study at school? I did mechanical at UTA. Then at SMU, I did engineering management and information systems, which is industrial engineering mixed with IT. Nice, nice, nice. Well, so somewhere along the line, well, I know you said you and your bro <laughs> were always making robots from the time you were kids, right? Yes. Uh, in high school, we won first place on our science competition. We built a four degree of freedom robotic arm that we controlled by, you know, remote controls, the uh, RC car remote controls. And yep. we, we made it pick pencils and put it into a cup. There was no business case to it, but it was looked cool. <laughs> well, you said your dad's an engineer also? Yes, he's an electrical engineer. So did he stick his nose in and go, hey, fellas, I'll help you how to get this done? <laughs> no, actually, dad was the type of person who would be like, you know, you guys can do it on your own. He he really let us use his tools, but he didn't really input a lot. It was more. He said you got my half my engineering brain, so you should be uh, on your way. <laughs> so tell me about when you got out of school, what was your first job? Right after school, I started a pack and ship store. It's called a pack and mail plus. Soon after that, I did that for a few years. It was all right. Then after that, I joined a industrial automation company as a senior applications engineer. We were working on like the latest and greatest in software and sensor technology, at least back in the day. So you were a pack, you were, so was it a franchise you own a pack and ship or was it your own? No, it was a franchise, pack and mail plus. So you got an engineering degree and then like a master's of engineering. You said, you know, I should own a pack and ship store. Did you always have it in your mind that you would create something for fulfillment people? 
honestly, no. I was mostly thinking about using my, you know, learnings from school to start a business. Like it's, that's what my main intentions were. I did not think I would end up in the space. Robotics, yes. But fulfillment, no. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, if someone would say 15 years ago, you want to get into fulfillment, you'd be like, what is that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you worked at this tech company. When did you start Robot? Started late 2018. And you started it with your brother? Your bro? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I started like three months before he joined and I had, it took me some time to convince him to leave Apple. You know, it's a cushy job. So, oh, he worked at Apple. So, what's his background a little bit? Yeah. So, he went to UTA. He stayed at UTA, University of Texas at Arlington, and he did his PhD there. He was involved in the DARPA robotics challenges. He took part in the Amazon picking challenge. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Oh, it sounds like something we should be interested in. Yeah. Have you seen the Boston Dynamics robot yeah. that does back? Oh, yeah. yeah, he has worked on similar kind of humanoids as well. After doing his PhD, he joined Apple as an automations engineer. Actually, guys, if you guys want to Google something that's interesting, Google the Boston Dynamics robots <laughs> and go to YouTube. And it's crazy what that robot. Well, there's a whole bunch of videos about it that, that robots dancing and <laughs> running and it looks like kind of a crazy metallic horse <laughs> yeah i mean it looks fun to Without watch ahead. <laughs> that's like 20 plus years of engineering that has gone into that and so boston dynamics got bought by who apple hyundai uh hi hyundai uh, oh did it oh, okay interesting interesting so anyway you and your brother you and your bro decided in 2018 you wanted to create a company and it was to make robotics. Did you decide to focus on fulfillment at that point? Yes, we picked fulfillment as our target industry. Interesting. So to learn about fulfillment, you decided that you would go work at all these fulfillment centers, fulfillment <laughs> companies. And it's interesting, when I was talking to you and your brother, I knew him before I knew you. I knew him a year ago, a year or two ago. When we were talking about topics to do, and then you brought up, I think your brother brought up, <laughs> Yeah, China worked at six fulfillment centers in three months. I was like, whoa, that's an interesting story. Or I think it is. So is that was your goal is I want to learn what the problems are in the fulfillment business? Yeah, I mean, you know, we knew the cool technologies we could build and calling a warehouse worker and a manager and saying, hey, I have this. You should hear the answers they have for you, right? They're like, how does this even fit? I have to put a conveyor in here. I do things by paper. There's so many other problems that you can solve. So that's when I realized that, you know, there's so many different types of movement centers. What exactly goes on in there, right? On the flow, what happens? That's what triggered me to. It's an interesting space. And we've talked about this a few months ago. And so it's popped up in a few of my podcasts. This fulfillment, you know, it's kind of blown up. And we all love e-commerce. We like getting stuff from Amazon or whoever we're buying from. But what we don't think about too much is that fulfillment work. Every once in a while, we hear about Amazon hiring tens of thousands of workers. And I know we also have a sense that sometimes that can be really difficult work, but people are flocking to it because people want the work. But being an old manufacturing guy and an engineering guy, I'm from automotive. We're a few generations into that. And we recognized a long time ago that you can't have certain jobs that are dangerous or too repetitive or too difficult for a person to do. And you wanted to learn kind of where your company could make some strides, right? That was part of what you were looking for? 
Yeah, like, you know, as a robotics company, you get a bad name about like, in the end, it's the associate, the end user that's going to be suffering through all the cool technology that you build. And <laughs> right. to tr- truly understand like what actually goes in their life, you know, you can't learn that by reading something. You know, right. put yourself, do the same work for, right. not for like two hours and say, okay, I did it. I know what it is. No, do it for a week. Then right. you'll truly understand the pain that they go through. Right. So when we were prepping for this, we agreed we would talk about this in three chunks. Well, first off, how did you even find these fulfillment? You talked about an app. What was that app again? It's called Winolo. So, so it's yep. so you went on the Winolo app and found your first job. Where was your first fulfillment job at? My first fulfillment job was at a fulfillment center in Grapevine in Texas. And is this for like a temp job? Is that what Winolo finds you? Yes, it's a temp job when peak happens. Yep. So you find this, you get this, and it's like, yeah, this guy's got a master's in engineering. I guess he's qualified to come in and work at our fulfillment center. And so you work there for what, a week or so? Every like different company I would have worked for at least a week. So you worked at, first one was in Texas. Where was the second job you had? Second one was in Gilroy, California. Where is that, outside LA? No, it's maybe an hour south of San Jose. Uh, Bay okay. Area, yeah, the Bay Area. Okay, Bay Area. And then where was your third job? Third one was in Chicago. So you're getting, then, a, you're getting a little bit of a flavor for the industry, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same company that I worked for in Texas, but in the Chicago location. But you'll be surprised at how different the operations right. are right. as well. So yeah. what was the fourth place? Fourth place was in Philadelphia. Philly, nice. And then where is fifth? Top of the head, I believe it was back in Texas. Most of the rest of them were in Texas again. So you worked at all these companies all around the, so basically at least a week. So over a three month period, you spent quite a bit of time in these fulfillment centers and you had some insights that you wanted to share. So the first one, as when we talk about this, we want to talk about people, process, and then technology. So what did you learn about the people that you work with just in general? They're hardworking. Like, I don't think I'll be able to do that work for more than a week. Right. They, I know I would. <laughs> oh, it's, it's it's really tough. They make you feel really, it's like a family environment. Like you sing during certain times. Because at the end of the day, you have to push yourself through. You start singing, you learn right. about each other. It's good, good songs? <laughs> uh, they're people from different countries. So, you know, they sing their own songs as well. So but I they're catchy. <laughs> Was, was there anyone saying, hey, let's sing some Sri Lankan, Kuwaiti <laughs> songs? I know I'm not a good singer, so I try to stay away from that. I'm like a backup singer. I stay at the back and I chime in. Well, so there's a family environment. And you said it's a diverse group. They're working hard. What else? Tell some other stuff about these people. I mean, I spoke about robotics with them, right? I was like, hey, I wanted to know what their fears were. They were super fearful about robotics. You know, they like, even though it was hard work, they were used to it and they liked doing it. It's not that, like, you know, it was a good way to make money. But right. I was saying, they had the fear of, like, would this, like, take away my job? Because they don't right. just work in a warehouse. They do Uber. They work as an Uber driver or Lyft driver as well. Right. You said a lot of them are involved in the gig economy. And I know when we are talking offline, I feel like I would much rather drive a Lyft or do some DoorDash or Shipped or a lot of other jobs rather than work in a fulfillment center. That's my own sense, just because I want to drive around. Yeah. I mean, if you have enough jobs coming from the gig economy, it's good. It's just that they need to make ends meet. They have to find whatever job they can to get the money. That's the main goal. 
So some are struggling financially. I know you said that. So you also mentioned to me repetitive work, difficult work, high turnover in this space. High turnover, repetitive work. It's very physically draining. You don't get sick days. I mean, you can't just call in and say, I'm not feeling well on Wednesday and not go. Right. You get a black mark on your record. Yeah, when you're doing that physically demanding work, I did a lot of it in my youth. It also can get mentally draining because you get tired. And I, I remember even as a young person coming in, I did landscaping and construction. Some days I'd just be tired getting to work. And like, damn, I'm already tired before we start. That's long days. Yeah, I mean, imagine going home back to your family, right? In the evening, you're too exhausted to do anything. Right. So high turnover, difficult work. They're all interested in the gig economy. Some have second jobs. I remember you said some of these people you saw even were living in their cars or would sleep in their cars rather than go home because either they were didn't have a home or they were just, just thought it was better to spend the night in the car rather than go home. That's a tough deal. Yeah. I mean, especially in the California area, I, I met a lot of folks who I would see sleeping in the car, waking up before the shift and walking in. Damn, that's hard. So, so people generally working hard. What about management? This, you meet all sorts of people. There are some, most of the companies that I've worked at, they're really nice. At least the flow managers really care to make sure that, you know, hey, don't work a lot. They even recommend that. They make sure that they're happy. Right. They're making sure you don't get hurt or overdo it. But, you know, it seems to me that everybody's trying really hard, but there's a lack of processes that can be manage properly, if you ask me. That's just from the sound of it is everyone's working hard, but if you're working really hard without the proper technology, without the proper tools, you're not getting the results you necessarily want. So talk about the process. So as I mentioned, the work is repetitive. It's super difficult to stay focused. And, you know, you're doing the same activity over and over again. So you keep wondering, did I already do this? (laughs) Did I already do that order? (laughs) I mean, it's five steps, right? You take an item, put it into a box, you put the dunnage, close the box, tape it, put the label. You keep repeating that a hundred times. You might forget to put dunnage. So what is dunnage? Oh, dunnage is uh, the packing material, packing peanuts that you get, or the sealed, the air packages that you get even. So you have to take it off the shelf, and it's usually in a bin or in a box, right? So you got to scan that, you put it in, and then you take it over to the packing station. You put it in the bin, and you take it over to the packing station to pack. Yep, yep. do you do the whole job or do you find yourself one time at a packing station, another time as picking stuff out of the bins? Or I should say, were you a picker or you're a packer? <laughs> uh, Joe, I did everything. I was in the receiving, I did stocking, I did value added services where, you know, just even cleaning shoes and putting them back into a box. You know, I'm not supposed to tell this to, you know, my customers won't know this, but I even found some time to drive the forklift around, which I was not allowed to do. <laughs> oh, you're not certified driver forklift. Yeah, that would be tempting not to get on that thing. <laughs> right, it was just lying there. I, anyways, but yeah, I've done oh, the whole the whole activities in there. I don't want to tell anybody, so you can, in case you decide <laughs> to do another round of fulfillment, they'll keep an eye on you next time. So process is hard and difficult to stay focused, which means there's a lot of errors, right? Yeah, so yeah. It's built in almost. Yeah. I mean, if you had a WMS or a warehouse management system, a lot of these processes would be easier. But you'd be surprised that half of these, they don't have it. It's down pen and paper. Yeah, you told me that. I think you said two or three of the companies out of six didn't have WMS, which 
I don't even know how you would go about running it today. I mean, it just seems, I don't even know how you would get business. Who would want to send business to somebody who doesn't have that? I guess if you've been in business a long time, maybe you just said the hell with it. I don't. Yeah. So some customers don't have that growth and scaling mindset. They're just happy and content with, you know, where things are at right now. So they would write down the barcode number by hand. They would type it out into Excel sheet. You know, mistakes happen. Data right. Entry. I do talk to companies. Um, I probably talked to three or four companies over the last year, fulfillment centers that said, Hey, how can we grow our business? Blah, blah, blah. And then I always ask, you know, about their operations and a surprising number of small companies don't have a WMS. And I got to think that's very limiting in terms of, you know, being able to run your business because you, when you're paper and pencil, you're always kind of missing something. So what else about the process? Were they using technologies that? Beyond, you know, some weren't using WMS, were they using other robotics or other technologies that you saw? So on the lower end, it's the guys who don't use even a WMS. Then when you go to the mid area, they're using a WMS, they're using a few automation tools. Some of the biggest things is like cubing, you know, getting dimensions of objects when you get it on inbound. So they do those kind of ones. Then the highest guys were the most advanced. They would test all types of automations. Nice, nice. So now when you're using those automated, do you need any training to, were you trained generally when you got over there? You need training for like specialized automation, like even the QB scan, which is a dimensioning tool. That one you need some sort of training because it, you can cause errors if you don't know how you, what you're doing. So that's the tool that measures a package, correct? Yes. And tells you the cubic dimensions on it. Okay, so, so generally speaking, were you trained when you got to these jobs? Generally speaking, no. Because I didn't do a lot of the, at least I caught on to a lot of those activities quite fast. So they didn't do a lot of specialized training for me. It was just a temp worker. Okay. So let's switch gears and talk a little bit about the technology they didn't, some used and some didn't use. So what are some of your insights on that? Well, one of the customers is they had a CSV file where they needed to enter the barcodes of the labels of the order that's coming in. So how this was done is someone would write it on a paper and give it to the internal office and that person would type it into a CSV file or an Excel sheet. Like they didn't know how to, they had a barcode scanner. It's not like they didn't have it. They just didn't know how to connect a USB barcode scanner to a line item in that Excel sheet, right? To inputting. So the idea of getting like a technologist in there was just that they thought they can't. So did you ever chime in and go, you know what, I can fix this? Yeah, I fixed it. I fixed it for them. I was like, hey, this is how you do it. Please do it this way because I'm, you know, I'm getting irritated at seeing how inefficient this process is. Yeah, so the warehouse workers keeps coming in here and telling us how to work our technology. <laughs> yeah, some didn't take it friendly. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's interesting. So overall, I think you've said to me, sometimes you saw technology, it was underused or used improperly, or sometimes you didn't see technology at all. And would have been really a big improvement and probably a nice ROI, but you just didn't, in general, didn't see it. And I think this is just such a new business. This is still in its infancy. We've always had fulfillment, but we've not had fulfillment grow like this for the e-commerce. And I think what's also interesting is when you're working with e-commerce companies, those guys are technology people. So they, there's an expectation I think most of them would have that would be like, yeah, we want to see this working correctly. And, you know, we, while we were prepping for this, we were talking about our friend AJ Kanajow. I know who AJ is a techie. I mean, that's, they were running a very tech enabled business. And I've had Crystal Creek on here. I know they're very technology oriented. And I just had, uh, 
Kikwatan, from Shopify and Six River, those companies are all moving this technology. But there's still a lot of out there that are not quite there yet. Yeah. I mean, you can buy technology, right? Imagine you're the C-level person of a company. You're like, this is a great technology. I see it working for me. You buy it. But then now you need, someone needs to use that. Right. This has been the problem that I think we've seen over the last 25 years in my career is that there's a lot of times when it would be really helpful to have a technologist who's, who looked at the process and said, we can fix this. But you don't always have that guy on staff. And then the idea of like, well, we're going to bring somebody in here for you know five grand to fix this. And it's never get to that $5,000 check. That's the problem. Yeah. I mean, you need to have a really good balance between someone who has an operations mindset as well as understanding what the technology can do for you. When you have that gap, you, how do you connect that to work for you? So let's switch gears, talk a little bit about your company. So are you the only one from your company who's gone and worked in these fulfillment centers? You're going to have your other, you can have some of your employees go make that trip. And no, so far, all of us have been in a warehouse. We have done the physical work. All, it's mainly the company. Everyone in the company, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'll using Winolo app, or do you uh, reach out to some of your friends now and say, can we come work at your facility? Yeah, so it's it used to be Winolo before, but now I have like you know, the relationships are there. So it's sending, we would go fly there, help out, figure things out. But yeah, so far, everyone, like these guys have master's degrees in engineering, PhDs even, and out there sorting packages. Because if you don't understand... You don't understand the work, you don't understand the work. I was a design engineer for many years. And early on in my career, we did not spend enough time at the manufacturing plant seeing how people put your parts onto vehicles. And when they started saying, we're going to come out, we're going to talk about how that part will go on this new prototype, it was kind of shocking because you're like, I'm asking somebody to make a blind operation. I'm asking me to do it 50 times an hour and not make mistakes. You start to realize, oh my God, what am I doing? <laughs> so you start designing with that downstream customer. And the same with service parts. Like for a long time, we would design parts without service in mind. And then when service engineering started to have to buy off on our designs, <laughs> guess what? <laughs> And then at the end of life, guys started coming and saying, that has to be recycled. So it helps to have your downstream customer within the company involved. Yes. It, you need to understand at the flow level. So let's talk about Robot. That's your company. What problems are you guys looking to solve in this business? Today, we are very focused on a packing station. So every activity, tools, that process is what we want to control. The nice way I like to put it is, I want to be the king of the pack station. <laughs> that's, 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 what, that's what I tell the team. I was like, we are going to be the kings of the pack station. So what problems did you see it specifically in the packing station that made you decide to focus your company's energies on that? There were a hundred different problems that you could solve with tools and things that you do at a pack station. And it doesn't require really sophisticated robotics technology. You can use other tools that are built today, right? 3D printing, machine learning, all of these technologies can be used to, it costs less, but it'll bring a huge ROI. Right. That's what I noticed. So your company, your goal isn't to build robots as much as it is to develop software. So you're looking to say, we want to be able to use real simple hardware, correct? Yeah, I mean, we forget the technology, right? It's like, what are you we solving for you? Right? Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Like, if there's a guy who's making the best robotics things out there, so be it. That's who you need to partner with. Right. But what we need to be doing is 
solving this issue of having inefficiencies in a pack station. Right. Errors in a pack station. Yeah, and I've been a little bit involved with this, and I think as a consumer, we've all been involved in this. So sometimes you get something, you go, well, this isn't what I ordered, so this was the wrong color, the wrong size, or something's missing, and then it's a ding in the company, right? So if it's an Amazon order, you're a ding. But then there's the whole return process, which is ridiculously expensive. And there's a whole other issue, which is when somebody's trying to be fraudulent, where they say, I ordered this and I didn't get it. What they're trying to get is an extra one. So do you kind of try and document some of that? Is that some yeah. of the things you're looking at? So talk about two or three of the top problems you've tried to solve. Today, we solve the inaccuracies and transparency that's missing in a pack station. We also help reduce touch on activities that are performed at a packing station. So how do you help reduce the touch? That's a great question. So these are things that we are working on internally. But the first thing that I can think of is, imagine you have a box that has empty volume, wide space. Right. So what you do today is you press a foot pedal on a package dunnage, as I called it, a dunnage dispensing machine. And then you roll it up and you squash it into this box. Right. So that's a touch that's happening where a worker has to press a button to release that. So what our system could do is detect the void space and automatically slip it out to the proper amount. Exactly. You save on packing, like the packing material. You save on time where the person doesn't have to cut it again or throw away extra. And it can it also documents what went into the package. Yeah, that's like that's off the bat, you get reports of every activity that happens during that order. And you guys are using some visual recognition so they can say, yep, that was actually the widget that was ordered. So it was the right size, bam, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a secret sauce, like where we keep building these intelligent, actionable insights. You're using like AI for all that? Yes, that's our software. Very nice. Very nice. So I have, you know, worked a little bit with fulfillment companies and I do know sometimes those packing stations can be very difficult. And I think one of the challenges, and we talked a little bit about this when we're talking about your tour of duty at these fulfillment centers is when you have a job that like this may say China can do it very well. He's, you know, energetic and smart and he keeps focused and he's a good employee. Well, then you bring in somebody who's maybe not as strong or not as young, not as tall, and they don't do the job the same way. And that's the problem. You don't want to have the every job be specific to a body size or you say, we must hire a young, strong man to do this job. No, that's not what we want to do. We want to be able to say anybody who's assigned to that project can do it properly. Exactly. And then to your point, right? Imagine a person who is five foot tall. They're working at a pack station that's made for a person who is six foot. Right. Now, the reach, them having to reach to get the box is already, you're already losing time. It's not the fact that he can't do that work. Right. But it's just the fact that the table ergonomics, it's off. Right. So you want to be the king of the pack station. Very nice. Very nice. So, Chana, we've talked about a lot of different things here. So why don't you summarize this topic for us? Give us four or five bullet points. I'll put a bow on it. And then we'll talk a little bit about what's going on over at Robot. So give me that summary. Got it. Don't have a fourth point, but maybe I can summarize it in three. Labor is by far the biggest challenge in e-commerce today. Second, supply chain management teams, they need to sense and react faster than they ever had to before right? on what's happening on the ground. The third is robotics is the future. You can't expect people to continue to do this kind of activities going forward. So it's not the volumes go up. Exactly.
Yeah. And I think as this industry matures more, we're going to see more of the companies that say, we are going to start leveraging technology, whether it's IT stuff or robots or visual recognition, whatever it might be, hardware, software, we're going to start utilizing it. That's what the leaders will do. Just like the leaders in freight have invested heavily in you know, transportation management systems, supply chain software, and that's yep. how they're getting more efficient and more effective. Yeah, I mean, one way to think about it is Tesla has been doing self-driving cars for a while. How many Teslas do you see out there, right? Right. Imagine if you could see 10 Teslas every 30 minutes. <laughs> that's the future I see for robotics. Because today, robotics is where Tesla started, when Tesla started. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I'm recording this from my mom's house in Dearborn, Michigan, so... uh that's where Ford's based. <laughs> I guess I do see Teslas here. That I, I think they're probably competitive vehicles that they're driving around, but mostly you see Fords. <laughs> so this is great stuff, Sean. I really do appreciate you sharing what you learned at these fulfillment centers. So tell us a little bit more about Robot, who you serve, and how we can reach out and talk to you or your bro. <laughs> so as I said, we want to be the king of the pack station. And uh, if anyone has a pack station that has volumes of over 2,000 a day. Those are our ideal customers. Right. And you say 2,000 shipments a day? Shipments a day. Out of one pack station or out of? Out of one location. Okay. It's a lot of shipments. But when you think about it, you know, when you watch Amazon and UPS and FedEx deliver to houses, you're like, there's a lot of e-commerce happening. They do millions a day. It's way more than that. Right, right. No, I've been at some high volume ones. uh, So... Good stuff. So that's who you serve. And how do we reach out and talk to you guys? Spell your company name and so we can reach out to you. It's Arabot, R-A-B-O-T. The best way to reach out is you can send me an email, find me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there. I'm always looking to talk with, you know, industry professionals who have been in the space for a while because there's so much to learn. And, you know, what has been done in the past, what has worked, those are very important to understand going forward. I think what I find very interesting about you and your bro is that you're really on this mission to learn because you said there's this is still in the infancy. There's not a lot of companies that are trying to do what you do in a way that you're trying to do it. And I think, you know, with the idea that we're always going to be open and you always say, just kind of never going to stop the learning. And just the fact that you went and did this work at these fulfillment centers and your, your whole team went out and did the same. That's very telling about your attitude. You're not just showing up saying, Hey, I'm the tech guy. I'm going to fix your life. You're saying, no, let me understand your business. And uh, we'll see if we can be an aid. And suppose it's coming really from a humble place, which I think is great. Oh, yeah. I mean, as I said, we're all engineers, right? If we don't understand how what we build affects the end user, truly understand that, you're going to make something that is going to cause problems. Instacart is a great example of that. They hired how many? 5,000 or 10,000 people when the pandemic happened and they just laid everyone off. How can you, if you knew the person who was doing this activity for you, you wouldn't do that. You would find another way. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, in this when you're in a brand new business like we are, there's just, a, I mean, the fulfillment's been around for a long time, but the volumes and who you're serving, the e-commerce companies, is very different. And I think the bar is really rising. And I think that's why you're going to see companies say, ooh, we need to find a better way. And I, again, we also talked about if you had a choice of going to work for one of the gig economies or working in a fulfillment center, I 
think most of us would pick a gig economy job. I'll drive around in my car all day. And so we have to make these jobs in the fulfillment centers, not only safe, but also meaningful. Like where I want to go to work and I want to say, yeah, I got a cool job. I work with robots and I work with technology and I'm improving processes as opposed to they hired me for my strong back and uh, (laughs) my ability to withstand pain all day. That's not, that's not good. Yeah, that's just a very wrong way of thinking. I mean, you know, the companies today have the capacity to do this for their associates. And that is the right thing to do. Excellent, Chano. I do appreciate you taking the time and I look forward to talking to you again about this because this is just a great topic and I really appreciate what you guys are doing. Awesome. Thank you so much, Joe. Uh, excited to see where we go from here. Right. Forward to next call. All right, man. So I'll put your a link to your LinkedIn profile, your brother's LinkedIn profile and your website and anything else you want me to link. And thank you very much. And also... Thank you very much to everyone who listened. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com. 